Just while you're getting your notes there, I went down to the, el- uh, the elderly, the, the, the homeless on Thursday for the first time. And we ran a thing in Dublin, you know, with people off the street and everything, and prostitutes, drug addicts, and everything else. But I have to be honest, Thursday was a real eye-opener for me. Uh, I thought we'd seen some things in Dublin. But goodness me, it was shocking. Shocking. Listen to this. Um, Justice, I, Justice and I went home together. Uh, and as we were driving home, he said, um, someone asked him, why do you go? And he said, I go because when I get home, on the way home, I feel great. I feel God in me. I feel the Holy Ghost in me. And it, 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 it's beautiful. It's wonderful. So I dropped him off. And we went home. And you know what? God, the presence of God, the presence of the love of God was so there. And I go to bed every night, just like you. But Thursday night, you know, in our house was different from any previous night. Because when I sat on my bed, I said, God, thank you for my bed. When I took my shoe off, I thought, God, I saw people without shoes. Thank you for my shoes. When I lay my head on my pillows, funny the things you don't even see. I thought, what lovely pillows. Thank you for my pillows, Lord. Thank you for our home, Lord. And we lay awake for, must have been an hour, and we don't do that. And we were talking, but the love of God was present. See, we're on a journey here for power. But there's something that precedes power, always, and it's compassion. And you don't have compassion for people, you ain't getting no power. And what I could feel that night was not power as such, but God saying, first of all, you're going to learn to love people. And when you love people, really love people, give them your life, give them your time, sacrifice you'll start to experience my love in you and once my love is in you I can trust you with power I'll be able to trust you with power and so I absolutely loved Thursday night and I would say Jim you know I'll bring it up at next Sunday's meeting do you know what we should do I think we should ask every single member in all of the congregations to go to the homeless at least once. Just go. Just go and see for yourself. Just go and experience what's happening down there. It was absolutely moving. Moving. I met a young man called Andy. Still hurts me now. Andy's same age as me. Talks like me. From Northern Ireland. Came over, not much different time for me. He came at 15, I came at 17, and I heard his Northern Ireland accent coming out the door, so I stopped him and I said, hey, he was shaking with DTs, dirty, half-dressed in the freezing cold. And I said, you're from the North then? Yeah, you too, I hear. And I said, well, what's your story? I came when I was 17. So he said he came when he was 15, and I went straight to the pub. I said, yeah, I came when I was 17. I went straight to the pub as well. And what did you do then? Then I did this, so did I. Then I did that. Yes, so did I. 
And the further we went in the conversation, I just had to hold myself because I was looking at me with one big difference. I got saved. It was the only difference. That was the only difference. And it just hit me. This is me. This is it's another version of me. It's just that, thank God, someone came my way, gave me the gospel, and I was able to get saved. Hallelujah. And I hope to get there again this week, and I'll be waiting outside that door for him, and try and take him the next step, and the next step, and the next step. So don't stay at home, folks. There's, believe me, there's nothing on TV as good as God in your heart and in your life and in your ministry. Amen. So we're on a path, and that path is a path to power. God wants to pour out His Holy Spirit upon us to fill you with the power of God so that we can use that to change ourselves, to change our neighborhood, to change this church, to change our cell groups. Change, right? Look at John's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 35. You're really going to need a Bible this morning, folks. John's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 35. This is the reason why change doesn't happen in churches, in individuals. Jesus spells it out here, John 4, verse 35. Don't you have a saying, Jesus says. It is still four, more, four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe on the harvest. Don't you have a saying, Jesus says. You say in your heart, four more months or four more years, and then things will start happening. Now, everybody look up. We began just last week. This is our second week. And we said this, that if I am facing the same problems when I'm 50 that I was facing when I was 20, something's wrong. Amen. This should not be. It's not that we don't face problems. We will always face problems. But the sign of growth is that the problem is changing. That's what we need to be looking for. It should be a different issue, a different battle, a higher battle that we're facing. Not the same old humdrum. So why does that happen? Well, the, the, one of the reasons is the deception of the devil to tell you that you'll be able to deal with your bad temper in another four months. Four more months, and I tell you, you're going to be so in control, you're going to be so, God's going to be with you in a year's time. It's always over the hill, always over the rainbow. And Jesus is 100% right. This is the reason why we're still dealing with the same problem. Because the person who says that at 20 is still saying that at 30, and they're still saying it at 40. Shall I continue? You understand? Four more months? No, says Jesus. What's wrong with today? What's wrong with dealing with our personality difficulties, our attitude difficulties, our spiritual difficulties? What's wrong with you facing yourself and the changes necessary today? Or will you deceive yourself one more time? Will you say, no, you know what? It's going to be another week. It's going to be another. Will you do it once more then? Or will you allow God to stop you in your tracks and actually arrest you to face the issues that have stumbled you 
for so long. We began looking at how God wants to bring His Spirit down upon us so that we would be agents, if you like, of His on the earth. Ambassadors on the earth. So let me pick up from where we left off last week. In the Scriptures, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, it's whenever the heavens are mentioned, the heavens are mentioned in the plural. Every time. Okay? Heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. Heavens, plural, and the earth is singular. You will have a few scriptures that you will probably remember well. Remember in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In fact, I'll read that just so you get it, an understanding of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2. Paul says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. The third heaven. Now in Islam, I believe they have a, a, an understanding that there are seven heavens. And other faiths, I'm sure, have, have other theories. But Scripture gives us no other inclination than this. That there are three heavens, that's all we have. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, Paul says that Jesus has ascended above all the heavens. Okay? Now, we have looked at this chart before where we describe the three heavens that Scripture describes as the, the third heaven being where God is, the one that we just spoke of, where Paul says he knows a man who was raptured there or whatever. He says, whether in the body or the body, I don't know. The third heaven is where we believe God dwells. That's what it's referring to. And we know that Satan was cast down into what we would call the second heaven or the stratosphere. And then you have the first heaven, which is the air, the, the, the immediate air, our atmosphere, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But let's turn to Isaiah and take a look once again at a scripture that describes the fall of Satan, the fall of Lucifer, down to the second heaven and onto the earth. The fall of Lucifer. So, just so we're clear, if you remember, Scripture speaks to us of three archangels, maybe more, but we know of three. There is Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Michael is a warrior angel, Gabriel is a messenger angel, and Lucifer was a worship priesthood type angel, if you like. And this is Scripture, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, describes how pride was found in Lucifer and God cast him out of heaven. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne. Notice how the heart of Satan wanted to arise, wanted to be seen. That's pride talking. You said in your heart you will arise. You said in your heart you will ascend. You said I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Really stern scriptures there and scriptures that should wake us all up because pride is the greatest killer. Amen. It was found in the Garden of Eden. It was found in Lucifer. And folks, it's in us. I look upon it, I've mentioned before, like cutting the grass. Pride grows up in me and I've got to go out and cut my grass, you know, every now and again. So I've got to deal with pride within me. 
Let me say a few words about angels. Because that's what we're talking about here. With the fall of Lucifer, his name was changed to Satan. God changed his name and he became a fallen angel. No longer with the authority that he had, but with the same amount of power. Angels have bodies, unlike demons. Angels fly, the Bible says. It talks about cherubim and seraphim, etc. They fly, unlike demons. And Jesus describes the kingdom of Satan, which we need to understand in order to have power over it. Amen? Matthew, let me take a look at this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 26. Jesus talks about the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of Satan or Lucifer, that he left heaven with. Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 26. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his what? Kingdom. So Satan has a kingdom. And it's a very well organized kingdom. Very well structured kingdom. A powerful kingdom. And the reason it is all those things is because he stole it from God. He took, persuaded a third of the angelic host to leave and to go with him, if you remember. And they fell down with him. And that's his limited army. We don't know what number that third is. Scriptures just doesn't tell us about numbers of demons or angels. Nowhere are numbers mentioned. But Satan left heaven and persuaded a third of those angels to fall down with him. So you begin to get the picture that we have God in heaven... That we have a second heaven, which I would describe as the stratosphere beyond our atmosphere. The Greek word for that particular zone is ethia. It's a different Greek word when it's talking beyond our atmosphere. The Greek word here for the, the, the first heaven, the, air, the atmosphere above the earth, is ea, different word. And you can trace it through scripture and realize that God is very serious about this structure. And the more I understand this structure, actually, the more confidence I have in what I'm dealing with. Now, see the little smiley man. That's you. Okay? You've lost a bit of weight. Right? Here's you, and you're standing on the world. Now, let's take a scenario. Look, you pray a prayer, for example, right? You're praying for something right now. Up goes the prayer to heaven, but you don't get an answer. So what do you do? Give up. You pray a prayer. Up goes the prayer. Take a look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Look at this. This is what happened, Daniel. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 12. Daniel prayed a prayer. The prayer left Daniel. The prayer went up before God. And look what happened to the prayer. Daniel 10, 12. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God. So he wasn't proud then. It's so the first day to humble yourself before God. Your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Right? You see what's happening here. Look, here's you upon the earth. You pray your prayer. Your prayer goes to heaven and God sends an answer. You do not stop praying. That's the lesson from Daniel. If you hold your place, keep on going, do not give in, pray without ceasing, because the battle is raging. Where? In the heavenlies. The answer for your prayer, when you pray and you know that you're praying in accordance with the will of God, 
You know that God spoke to you to, to prophesy this, to pray this. You know it. Don't be deceived when that answer gets delayed and, and instead, to be honest, be encouraged. Right? I think of Reinhard Bonnke. Most of you, probably all of you know who he is. Probably the world's greatest evangelist, certainly at the moment. And Bonnke, if you read his sort of autobiography, Evangelism by Fire, he tells the story of how God spoke to him in, in, in South Wales that he was going to see a blood-washed Africa. But there's just this little short passage in, I wish he had elaborated on it more, but um, in the book he says this, So I went to Africa with my guitar and a small team. And all he had was the prayer that he originally had prayed. And he stands on a street corner singing his songs. Does anybody remember how long he stood there on the street corner? 20 years! 20 years! 20 years! 20! You get it? 20! Standing on a street corner, waiting, because God had said that something was going to happen in Africa. Was his patience rewarded? Oh! The, 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 the patience, the long-suffering to stand there and look like a fool. Wow! To wait and to wait and to sing and to praise. And for me, that was the most important line in the book. That Bonke did not give in to the devil's time scales. And I think that is such a lesson to do with timing and devils, I tell you. devil always wants to dictate the time scale. Demons always want to control the timing. When they're driven out. They want to control. Uh, you, uh, you know, I know I've got a demon in me, I'll let you drive it out in four months' time. First of all, I'm going to do some damage in your church. I don't think so. I don't think so. Ain't no devil going to control no time scale. Hello. Amen? Not four more years and then the harvest. And this is the pattern of Satan with his trickery and his games that you need to be very cautious of, and you, as you'll see in a moment, very aware of that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of deliverance. And not waiting and waiting and waiting which is really, it's, it's a deception, is what it is. So there you have what Scripture, I believe, paints as, with, if, you, if, you, if you could imagine it with spiritual eyes, that this is the reality in which we live. Now, I'm going to say some things this morning, folks, that may shock you, may even frighten you. But part of the problem why we don't see the deliverance we see in the churches is because people are, will not talk about this. But the reality is, forget Hollywood. The Bible has got more crazy stuff, man. Stuff you would never even dream of. Stuff you couldn't make up. I mean, read Ezekiel's visions. Remember Ezekiel's visions where he saw these animals with wheels? and this? I mean, good, yeah, what is that? What are you seeing? So, don't blame me. The, 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 the fact is, the kingdom of God and the reality of these spiritual things... It's much more freaky and weird and odd than we're willing to, you know, maybe accept with our secular worldly mind. And I want to just take us, maybe get a little glimpse into the reality of the spiritual realm that we maybe do not perceive, but it's always there. It's actually all around us. 
but we don't get it. Part of the problem is the devil tries to bully us. He tries to get us to make peace with him. What was the name of that woman? I can't remember her name. This woman was demonized. Her house was possessed. You know, when we got this phone call, she wants she won't come out, but she wants you to go in and see her. And we went up to the house, I remember. The house was immaculately clean. And we went in there, and I sat down, and she looked so normal. Everything's just perfect. <laughs> and sitting, talking, and, you know, she was asking about the church. She knew lots of our members. And I said something about Sunday. I said, we're currently doing a series on end times. And she went, oh! Sorry, I'm sorry, Pastor Mike. Would you mind not mentioning end times? I said, well, actually, I, I, what's the problem? And she said, well, I have demons, you know. Um, if you don't mind, just, just, just don't mention end times. Well, that was it. Now I know what the problem is. That's why I'm here. You've called me here because you've got demons harassing you. Yeah, just don't mention end times. No. No, I will not not mention end times. That's your problem. You've made peace with the devil here. Is that the way this house is? You're not allowed to talk about the end of the... Maybe you've got a ministry then in the last days. Maybe God's got something for you to do in the last days. And the devil's a bully. He tries to threaten you. If you talk about end times, I'm going to manifest. I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to come down heavy on you. You see? And that woman was living in that fear. Now, she didn't cooperate with us. But I didn't cooperate with her. You may have made peace with the devil in your home. But I'm not going to make... That's why you asked me to come. I'm not going to make peace with the devil in your home. But she wouldn't agree. Okay, that's your problem. You need to face that. Four more months and I think everything's... Yeah, right. Sure. Don't make peace with the devil. You understand what I'm saying? It's like a truce. And you get this in marriages, you get this in in workplaces, you get it in your colleges, where someone says, if you try to do this, my temper's going to come out. And so you never go there. You know what I'm talking about. If you try to do this or do that or change this, I'm going to come out. Who's that? God or the devil? Silence the devil. You don't make peace with the devil. Amen. Don't make peace with the devil. That's what we're here for. To bring in the kingdom of God. Now, see this guy here. Here he is. He's standing on the earth. I, 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 I mentioned a, a long story last Sunday. I won't go into too much detail. But it was a guy who had been a disciple. He'd been in church. He'd born again. Got baptized. Was, was going well. But pride was found in him for sure. And he rose up against the senior pastor there, a guy called Peter Finch, a good friend of mine to this day. And he started to rally against Peter. And at a certain point, I tell you what, a demon entered that guy. And he became an absolute wreck, a mess. And last Sunday night, I was telling the story of how when the demon was in him and he spoke, I used to get my spirit used to twist inside me because I'm listening to a demon. And I would want to silence that demon. But then, by the grace of God, Alan got delivered. And it was a great deliverance. He was totally at peace. And about six months went by, and lo and behold, he was back to his old ways again. But this time, they weren't spiritual ways. It wasn't the demonic spirit. This time, it was the habits 
that Alan had picked up whilst under the dominion of that spirit. And I want you to think, just glance back over your life. Think about the relationships you've had. Think about your, your youth, okay, your upbringing. Think about the nightclubs, the music, the different things that influenced you. Okay? Because these things, whether we like it or not, they can shape our flesh. I'm not talking about the devil. They can shape your soul. They can shape you, your personality. Do you understand me? Look, here you are, a young person, naive. You go out into the world and the devil piles every type of junk on you. But then you grow up and you get saved and you go to church. And now the devil's gone, but the attitudes, they're still in you. They're actually in your flesh, in your soul. They've shaped you. They've made you. And they need to be changed, challenged, and changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. Do you know what these attitudes are? Witchcraft. You think, no. But witchcraft is what they are. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Galatians 5, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. The acts of the flesh, we're not talking about demons here. They have already done their work. They have already shaped personalities. They have already damaged characters. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. Okay? I just want you to understand, folks. You see, so many people say to us, well, I haven't got a demon. I didn't say you did. Okay? If you've got damaged flesh, then the attitudes and actions that emanate from that flesh, Paul says, that's tantamount to witchcraft. You understand me? So you've got to be careful. We've got to crucify that flesh. This whole realm here of light and darkness, that, never mind the earth, just let's think up there first for a moment. Uh, above our heads, there's a, a stratosphere, and in that stratosphere, war angels, good and bad. Okay? And we've got to be careful. I'm going to talk about it tonight. We've got to be careful that you are in the light and not in darkness. That you're walking in the light and not in darkness. Amen. Because it's, it's, it's a very dangerous and deceptive road to walk in darkness. Davis, please come and help me one moment. Buddy, come. Okay. Okay. Praise the Lord. Now, buddy here, I'm going to put you in darkness, okay? Don't be afraid. Everything's going to be okay. He plunges into darkness, okay? But, oh, hang on. Sorry, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> Come. It's okay. Because Davis is going to help you. You've got a problem. You need to get to the fire exit, okay? The building's on fire, but you're okay because your good friend is here. What I want you to know is that in darkness, there's always power. Davis, would you take Buddy's hand and just lead him to the exit? Lead him to the exit. 
And Buddy knows that he's in good hands. He knows he's secure. Even though he's in the darkness, everything is A-OK. And life is fantastic. Hey, you know what? The darkness is not so bad. Thanks very much. Now, Buddy, I think you owe Davis a very big thank you for looking after you. Don't you? Say thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, listen, folks. We now, we now have a problem as a church. Because now we have one individual who's just been deceived. Now, 99 of the people here see things one way. And now we have someone, because of darkness, because of the influence of darkness, who don't quite get it the same way. And I go to Buddy, I say, do you know what, Buddy? That wasn't Davis. The person who had your hand was not Davis. It was Brenda. And Buddy says... Yeah, right. <laughs> and then someone else says to him, do you know what? It wasn't actually David. His people are all crazy. His people are all mad. And this is the effect of darkness. Right? Confusion. Confusion upon your mind. Lack of clarity. Do you know darkness by very definition? Do you know what? It's dark. You can't see. You don't know the powers that influence you. That's the problem. The wonderful thing about the light, I know Jesus, I know God the Father, I know the Holy Spirit, amen? And in the light, I can see where I'm going. In the light, I know who's who. But the problem with darkness is, you do not know who you're dabbling with. And I tell you, we could have a few testimonies right there. You do not know the powers that you're dabbling with. You've got to be very, very careful with light and darkness and walk in the light. So God casts Satan, Lucifer, out of heaven. He comes down into the second heaven, the angelic realm, with one third of heaven. And that leaves him with a numbers problem. Because God has two thirds, right? That's a big problem. What is the devil going to do about that? We have God's seed. In the book of Genesis, remember how God said that he would bruise the serpent, blah, 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 and the seed of the woman? We have God's plan in Jesus Christ, but we have the devil's plan also in demons. In the creation of demons. We know where angels came from. Where did they come from? Heaven. They fell. And we understand them. You do not have authority over, over angels. Okay? Angels are more powerful than you. You need to be careful of that. God has that. And you say you want to rebuke an angel. What did Michael say? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. And people get themselves messed up, screwed up, because they take a casual attitude to this spiritual realm. But in the book of Jude... It says, do not be foolish. You don't know what you're dabbling in. These are powerful creatures that God made. And absolutely, we can pray into the spirit realm and into the angelic realm, but we, we say what it says in the Bible. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. But we ourselves don't confront personally because you don't have that authority. Are you with me? It's important. It's important that I understand how authority works because everything in the kingdom 
emanates out of authority. You've got to have authority, you've got to be under authority. Everything in the kingdom emanates from authority. No authority, no deal. Doesn't work. Everything is linked to authority. And so that's what's going on here, right here. I've got to know that Jesus Christ himself will deal, as it were, with the angelic realm. So we know where the angels came from, good and bad. But what about demons? Because we definitely do have authority over demons. Well, when Satan fell, when Lucifer fell, and he took one third of heaven with him, and they occupied that that stratosphere and also to some degree upon the earth, look at the book of Jude a minute, and you'll see there what it says. The book of Jude and verse 6. It talks about that time when the the angels were, if you like, up there in the stratosphere. And it says that some of them came down on the earth. Jude verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. And look at this. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah talking about the sexual immorality there, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. And in fact, let me just ask you to go to Genesis chapter 6 and you'll see the other half of this story. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1. So, folks, I've got authority over demons and God gives authority. We'll read it in many different places. Jesus says, I give you authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. Remember? Where do they come from? I want to know. I want to know who I'm dealing with. I want to know what I should do and what I shouldn't do so that I'm able to be safe and secure in the guidelines of God and operate with a delegated authority, which is safe. So, Satan's cast out with one third of heaven. God has a plan to increase his seed upon the earth, his church upon the earth. It's going to be mighty. But Satan's got a problem. He's only got one third. And so he's going to have to try and increase his army, if you like, upon the earth. And how is he going to do that? Well, it says how he did that. What we just read there, everybody look up. In in Jude, which we just read, it says, Some of the angels did not, it's a terrible translation, did not keep their first estate, but it's actually disrobed. They took off their angelic bodies in the heavenlies. They disrobed their angelic form because they saw that the women on the earth were beautiful. And they came down upon the earth and copulated with the women of the earth. So now you've got an, a fallen angel taking off their heavenly body, coming into planet earth, having intercourse with human beings, and the offspring are called the Nephilim. They were giants, huge men on the face of the earth. Genesis chapter 6 When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, that's the angels in the heavenlies, the fallen ones, the sons of God saw that the daughters of the humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim, that's the offspring 
of the fallen angels and human beings. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, the men of renown. Zeus, Apollos, the great, the great Greek heroes. This is their basis. Giants of old. And in fact, all over the world, they've found giant skeletons. Uh, and I was looking it up. Oh, nearly every continent I found were giant skeletons. These guys here, the skeletons of the Nephilim were found. Look at verse 5. This is where we normally start the story of the flood. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. Now, it depends what version you're reading there, but some of your versions will say perfect in his generations. Okay? Follow me, folks, because I want you to understand the basis for your authority. Satan falls, takes a third of heaven with him, but he's outnumbered. God has a plan to send Jesus Christ and to rise up a mighty church. On the face of the earth. So the devil gets a plan. Some of these angels come down upon the earth. And they intermarry with human beings. And the offspring is neither actually strictly human. Oh, and certainly not strictly angelic. The, off, the offspring is a hybrid. Called the Nephilim. And they were giants. And God, this is the flood. Funny how we always just read the flood and we forget the Nephilim bit. Ah. And yet that's, it's not the only reason. He said the wickedness was great on the earth. But what it means when it says that Noah was perfect, it's talking about Noah's bloodline. That there was a bloodline. Noah's in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. There, there was a bloodline. And the devil was trying to, as always, mix up, cut off the Messiah. Cut off the Messiah. You understand? So he tried to get in there. But God saw that Noah's blood had not been infiltrated, if you like, by the Nephilim. Raises him up and starts a new generation. Hallelujah. I know it's a lot to take in. I need to do it in one... You can get the recording. I need to do it in one sitting and then we'll work on packet in weeks to come. I want to know the basis for my authority. When I'm driving out demons, I want to know who they are. I want to know where they came from. And I don't think the Bible holds that information from me. I think Scripture gives me that. And I think if it's there and we just read it, then obviously I need to know it. I need to know it because it will give me confidence. It will give me understanding and that will make me more able in what I do. So God wiped out the Nephilim. They actually reappeared three times later in, the, in your Old Testament. They popped back up here and there, but never had great strength. So you understand that this earth is absolutely a battle place and that you are God's hope on the earth. But I don't think that we are doing our job, like we said last week with Pastor Tom and Helen, willing to dedicate their lives and their future to getting demons <laughs> out of people. 
And after Thursday night, Jim, I think that's a good thing to do. Look at the torture and the suffering down there. I tell you, we need to have a clean-up operation, which is what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, I was reading it this morning in Mark chapter 1, everywhere he went, he was casting out those demons and setting people free. Now, some people won't, won't cooperate with you. They get, you know, fidgety, awkward with you. And that's tough because it's a tough old game, you know? Church, being in church, being saved and, 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 and actually bringing people to a place of true discipleship is not often a pretty picture as it wasn't with the chap in Dublin I told you about last week. It's not a nice story. It's not a nice story. It's a horrible story and it still has a bad end. But I gave that man everything. When no church would receive him, I prayed. He was the chief demon in Dublin, I tell you that, without any shadow of a doubt. Unless you bind the strong man, you ain't going to take any city. And I asked God to give me the grace for that man, and God did, and God set him free. But because of his one more year attitude, his old attitudes came back out, his old character came out, and the guy ended up, like Jesus said, he ended up worse than before. But I want to encourage you folks that we all suffer from, you know, the, maybe the effects of our past, and maybe we can be blessed by the effects of our past. Don't run away from it. Don't run away from it. Face yourself. Deal with yourself. Body, soul, and spirit. Too many people, you know. Too many people suffering in silence. You don't need to put up with mood swings, temper tantrums, depression, control, dominance. These things are witchcraft. That's what they are. I love Derek Prince's definition of witchcraft. I love it. Listen to this. Easy, easy to memorize. He says this. Someone had said it to him one day as a succinct description of what witchcraft is. Witchcraft is trying to control any circumstance by a means other than the Holy Spirit. Excellent. Love it. That's excellent. It's excellent. So, Jeanette, you're not going to do what I want to do. I start to put pressure. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Get back in the spirit, remember? Witchcraft is trying to control a circumstance with domination, which is the male root. Very often men like to dominate, women like to manipulate. Stay in your seats, girls. Just telling the truth. all there in Genesis. Women are master manipulators and they will run rings around most men. Oh, yes. And men don't think the same way. They will dominate and try that, that way. But it's all wicked. It's all wicked. And it has no place in you or in me. I want to be a receptacle for the power of God so that I can do good in the land. And in order for me to be trustworthy with that, without a doubt, it's going to start with loving people and laying my life down for people. By getting all traces of pride out of me, like a vacuum cleaner, I've got to go through my psyche and get rid of it because I don't like the effects of pride on these guys. This is not good, is it? This is terrible. I want all pride out of me. I could tell you many, 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 many stories over the years with 
There's been times, particularly obviously in Ireland, where great power came into our church because it was needed. And we saw many people delivered. Some, you know, kept that, thank God. And others reverted back because maybe they weren't ready. I had one guy ring me up one day. He's actually a friend of ours. But he had had depression and many things. He was really, uh, he would just go off his rocker, to put it in slang terms. And he rang me up one day and he was just frustrated, you know. And he said, Pastor, I've had enough. Can I come to your place? I want deliverance. I've got a demon in me. I said, okay. I actually said to him, you know, where are you? Come to my house right now. Come right now. Because he was ready. He wanted help. And so he did. And he came in and he sat down and uh, I said, well, tell me what the problem is. He said, I've got a demon in me. I've had it all my life. I had it since I was a kid. And it's put me in it was psychiatric care. I've had psychiatric care. It's tried to destroy me. And I'm fed up of it. And I want it out. I had one period of freedom when I got delivered years ago. And I've never had it since. And I want you to pray for me. So he sat there. And you know, at a certain point, I felt, let's drive that thing out. I said, stand up. And I just took a couple of paces towards him. I raised my hand. And you know, he vomited all over my floor. Yeah, just like that. Now, I've worked in the hospital, you know, for 10 years. Blood, poo-poo, sick, no problem. Okay, it's all right. I tell you what, guys. That was the most disgusting. Are you okay? Sorry, I'm not making anybody sick. That was the most disgusting, vile Yuck, I've ever come across in my life. And he was going, yes! (laughs) I was going, look at that, look down there. And off he went, and he left it on the floor. (laughs) I know, he did. He was full of joy. I thought, well, praise the Lord, he was free. But that thing, really, it's a demon, you see. No real, no very little resistance. Very little resistance with that, and in other cases, very little resistance. This is just a fallen demon. But once you start getting tangled into the angelic, this is what uh, Elijah found out, wasn't it? When he could so easily drive out the prophets of Baal, and then he comes up against Jezebel, and one word, and Elijah's down. Elijah needed to understand that there are levels, there are principalities, powers, rulers, and he needed to get that bit and stay within the confines and, you know, that, that, that God had given him. And he, you know, really didn't understand that then. That's Old Testament. But today we have this very clearly. I told you last week about the guy who stuck the finger in his eye. Most of you went, ouch, like that. He did right in front of me with no damage to his eye. Now there's a man who's made peace with the devil. Sitting talking, to, sitting talking to your pastor and you go whack straight into his eye he stuck his finger you know just made me makes your hair stand what are you why did you do that and his, his I think this is the only way I can control the demon you've made peace with that thing you've made peace that shouldn't be in you it's got no place in you don't make peace drive it out wouldn't do it you know, we did everything for that guy. Everything to try and help him. And in the end, couldn't set him free. And I was mind-boggled. 
And we got the opportunity of getting a guy who was a specialist in deliverance from Africa, a guy called Pastor Kenyaki. He was then working on CNN and around. Very, very powerful. And he came into the church and he drove every demons out all over the place. Dublin, yeah, open our asylums just about right. Dublin's a thousand times worse than Glasgow. Any day. Any day. It's, it's rife with this stuff. Rife with witchcraft. I tell you, it really is. But that guy did a great job. And then we brought him to this fella. <laughs> Special session. And we had this guy in a room at the back and I took Pastor Kenyaki in. Well, I tell you what. He didn't... He, he, that guy didn't mess about. He went into that room. You know, hi, out was you? Straight off with his t-shirt. <laughs> Pull the shirt off his back. Yeah. Pull the shirt. I thought, easy, easy, easy. I thought he's going to beat the demon out of him, you know. Pull the shirt off his back. And he was looking around his body. And he didn't resist. He's okay, okay. God, tattoo. Where'd you get that? Who gave you that? And the guy told the truth, you know. But the spirit was so there, you know, he, 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 he wouldn't let it go. Pastor Kenyaki didn't deliver that guy. And we would sit with him, and he would look across the table, and he would say, you know, remember the story. Um, I'll tell it again, very briefly. I had a meeting with this fellow. He rang me up. He said, meet me in a hotel. So, the hotel across the street from our church, I go in, and we're sitting there. He, he, the, him and his girlfriend, when all of a sudden, water appears. Water is manifested in front of me. Now, I'm not an idiot. I'm not crazy. I'm 100% normal. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> I'm 100% normal. I tell you what. I have never, ever seen anything like that in my life. There was water in front of me in the air. And I thought, oh my Lord, look at this. And these guys both looking at me, and I said, listen, I'm going to close this meeting here. Go, and I'll call you. Because I just wanted time to think. I was a bit freaked out. Not frightened at all. I wasn't frightened. I just don't know what to do. So look at some, look at that. It's manifest there's power here. No wonder I couldn't get him delivered so quickly. There's power here. So that night we had a meeting at the church. And they said, We'll go over to the church just across the street. And I said, I'm going for a walk. And I went for not a long walk. But they went over to the church and there was my wife. And they went in and they spoke with her. And I arrived about 20 minutes later. She, I've had no conversation with her. She runs out to me and she says, I've just spoken to Mr. A and Mrs. B and there is water manifesting in front of them. So I thought, yes, I'm not crazy. See, told you. She saw precisely the same manifestation. Now I said to that guy, come to the church early Sunday morning. I'm going to talk with you and I want to confront this in you. Um, same old story. He says, we'll deal with it next year. No, no, you won't. I'm going to deal with it now. We're not going to work on your time scale. I will dictate the time scale. You understand me? I will dictate the time scale. So anywhere Jesus went, some would resist. But no devil's going to dictate the time, the, the time scale because that's what has people trapped. Amen. Amen. Got to let God in. So I sat that guy down and I said, you, as up to that point, we didn't mention water to him. This is the first time I did. So I sat him down in the church and I said, you know what, mate? You're manifesting... Water. <laughs> it's appearing in front of you. So whatever demon you've got yourself wrapped up in, and he said, Shh. 
And he said, I was in the occult for years. And I've been trained by guys who do this all their lives. And they gave me options. And I gave my life to a water angel. I gave my soul to a water angel. And the only way its power can be broken over my life, I know its name. And he said, the only way its power can be broken over my life is if I write its name backwards. And I stopped him. (laughs) And I said, oh no. Oh no, 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 no. No backwards names. There's only one name. There's only one name. He said, no, no. I said, no, 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 no. There's only one name. I don't need to know no demons' names. There's only one name that you need. What's the name? It's the name of Jesus. He said, no. I said, no. He said, no, I have to know. You don't have to do anything. Jesus died on the cross, descended into hell, bound every demon. They're all under his authority. You've got more respect for that demon's name than you have for the name of Jesus Christ. That's why you're still bound. That's your problem. Now, will you use the name of Jesus? No. You need to use the name of Jesus, the name above all names. No. I have to. No, you don't. And here he is, you see. He's believed something. As you believe, so shall you receive. And as far as I know, to this day, that man still has more regard for that angelic power than he does for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I repeat, I mean, you can listen to Reinhard Bonnke, you can listen to Derek Prince, two individuals who have driven out probably more demons on this planet than anybody else. And both of them give a belly laugh when people say, I couldn't drive the thing out because I didn't know its name. They think, oh, for heaven's sake. Get a grip. This is another four more years. This is another one of those little tricks of the devil. You know Jesus Christ, you need nothing else. Come on. He has the power. Ascended. Above every demon, every single thing is under his feet. And you are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. Have no other God. Have no regard for their power in that sense. But know and understand the power of the risen Christ that he wants to come through you. Be convinced of it. Be convinced of it that Jesus has the name above all names. Amen. God help us. God help us. God help us. Help us. We're going to go on a journey as a church. And it's very important that we start the journey correctly. Okay? I mean, where do you want to start? For me, it's actually authority. Authority is the number one thing. You've got to have under authority for your life to be safe and to function, especially if you're going to get into this stuff. Amen. Church has got to have authority. People got to be under authority. Had a few challenges of that this week, haven't we? Oh, sir, there'll be one authority in this place, let me tell you. Let me tell you. I will not be challenged on any authority. I will not be challenged by any one of you on any issue. Ever. You understand me? Do you know what that is? What's the word? Authority. That's right. And I am a man under authority. And I invite you, be my guest, 
ring my overseer and ask him when I have ever obeyed. I've actually disobeyed twice in 20 odd years. Both occasions I had to because my leaders were not aware of the situation. In one occasion was not long ago and Pastor Rick, I arrived in Singapore in the office. I have an explanation. I couldn't carry out that command. I directly disobeyed you because you didn't know this. Oh, <laughs> thanks Mike. It's not disobedience. So only twice in all that time and do you know I remember in Dublin with people who are demonized looking at me as if I'm a creep. People have got no control, no spiritual authority and I look at them and think I don't care what you think about me. I know where my, my authority comes from. It comes because I'm under human authority. That's where it comes from. So don't get carried away with God's stuff. Amen. Do you know what I mean? Disciple of Christ, a disciple of another, and this is where your authority comes. Now, when we go down this road, folks, and that's where we're going, believe me, this is where we're going to go. We're going to have power running through this place. Hallelujah. Power in Thursday nights, Jim. Power in the elderly. So get all sense of, I shall arise unto the heavens and I myself shall become God. That's rebellion against authority. That's pride and it causes the downfall and it's still infecting human beings today. So tonight we're, we're going to look at walking in the light. You need, you need to get back here, folks. You need to get back here at 6.30. No time to waste and we're not playing games. Amen. Get back here at 6.30. I want to talk about what happened to Buddy here. When he was in darkness and that whole realm where you don't actually know what's going on. I want to talk about how do I, how do I break that? How do I walk in the light? What does the Bible say? It says a lot. How do I get into the light and then stay in the light? Now let me say to anybody here, I'm going to finish. Let me say to anybody here who is in any way scared, you don't need to be. Amen. You don't need to be. Anybody who has a fear of God has no need to fear anybody else. And you come under the authority of the church and you have no need. I feel confident. I hope you understand what I mean by that. I don't mean that in the flesh. I mean because if I sit, and we do, I sit, have I done error? Am I wrong? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Show me and I will change it. And therefore, I know that I can function in these, so I do not have that type of fear. Because I know God will honor his word, and if something's wrong, tell me, and we'll, we'll, we'll change gear, no problem. I'm advising you to do the same thing. Get your life and attitudes right, and tonight come, and we will look at how we can walk in the light. Amen? Amen. Amen. Invite the worship team back.